Welcome to Monster Porn, Weird Fiction and Horror Podcast. The podcast with the most hallowed ween. Second year running. Today's story is Hunter's Moon by Brett Norwood. Hunter's Moon is the sequel to last year's Halloween episode, MP10, November Moon. Although familiarity with that story is not necessarily a prerequisite to enjoying today's episode. Hey, this is Matt. Remember, if you enjoy monster porn, be sure to get subscribed on your preferred podcast app and leave a review. Thanks to all the monster baiters out there who have sent positive energy back and have helped the show grow through reviews and recommendations. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Shouldn't we, uh, shouldn't we knock before we go down into Brett's basement? Yeah. Oh, uh, there's an old saying that comes to mind. He who knocketh not glimpseth the cock. I'm more worried about finding the people that Brett has tied up in his basement. Why? They're, they're good people. Brett! Brett? Ah, Matt. Patrick. Wee little piggy. I'll never see why you hang out down here with all the black widows and cellar spiders. What are you up to down here? This is my quiet place to come and reflect. To meditate and release all the stress from my life. With creatures I can understand. And what are you working on there? Oh, I'm making a bomb. He said a bong, right? You're making a bomb? What? What for? Oh, I'm just looking for new ways to meet women. Oh, well, that's understandable. What? Matt, this is not just a bomb, I should say. Wait, where are you going? Don't you want to hear about my bomb? Oh, he said, uh, he said bomb. I thought he said bong. No, man, I am getting the fuck out of this house right now. Huh. I thought you'd be interested in my coochie bomb, Matt. Your what now? It's called a coochie bomb. In whatever closed space it detonates, it triggers a wild orgy the likes of which would make the Roman patricians blush. I was just finishing it up, so I can head back to yoga class. Hmm. Well, my wife stopped listening like three weeks ago. So go ahead and tell me more. You cucks go play with your Ted Kaczynski great aphrodisiac. I'm going to go score some tot hotties the old-fashioned way. Or some hot toddies, whichever happens first. Excuse me. Hey, and give me that fucking hat, dude. I'm going to go slay some strange. Give that. Whatever. Just don't get anything on it. So how does this thing work? Well, in principle, it's fundamentally similar to my environmental degradation device. That is to say, quid pro quo, based upon transmogrifier technology and the occult science of Eliphas Levy. It is armed when this red handle is in the engaged position. Wait, why is it counting down? Did you really just arm it? Oh yes, to demonstrate. But one simply disarms it by... Uh... Uh... Well? It's not disarming. Oh God! Everybody, clear out! Hey, hey! Don't, don't shove me! Oh, oh, help me! Move it, bacon bits! Hey, uh, watch it! 
Shit. Shit, it won't open. Did you just lock the door? Did I lock the door? You shoved me, buddy. Is there another way out of here? Brett. Huh, what, sorry? I was just fascinated that one of my devices seems to be working. <laughs> oh, mother, if you can hear me now, just know this. This is not how I imagined it coming to an end. Not like this. Not my, my 32 years of virginity. We've got... What? 38 minutes? Why is the timer 38 minutes, Brett? That seems highly specific. I don't know. Seems like a good number to me. Oh, hi, Cellar Spider. Gucci, Gucci, Gucci. Okay, we've got plenty of time to figure out a way out of here before the sex bomb detonates and shit hits the fan. You mean the D hits the fanny. <laughs> oh, oh, mother, not even any dinner or romance to, to preheat the oven. It's okay. We just have to keep cool heads. We've got plenty of time. This could be worse. <laughs> Hiya. Hey, hey, you guys. Did someone say, oh, oh, sex bomb? Never mind. Oh, oh, no. No, 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 not him. Oh, officer, I should show you on the doll where the creepy porn guy touched me. <laughs> I like dolls. <sighs> creepy porn guy, why in the hell are you hiding down here? Oh, I'm just flattering you all. Remember my name. Oh, Heart Emoticon. Is that his real name? Oh, God, we're really fucked this time. Indeed. We're about to be. The two kids dragged the corpse into the woods. Gun, Kalen said. Do you think people will think he killed himself? I think that's a natural assumption. Gunner answered. But will it be believable? Kalen pressed. Kalen looked at the limp parcel he had in tow, pulled through the graying dry grass by the noose around his neck. The victim was the CPR dummy from the high school pool, which no one was missing this time of year. They had a trash bag over its head and a rope around its neck. It was Halloween and the boys were seventeen. Nothing about what they were doing was a good idea, but that hadn't even occurred to them in all the time they spent obtaining the dummy, roping its neck, clothing it from the thrift store, and now spiriting it down the walking path that ran through the city park along the creek. All they knew was the idea for the prank had given them a good laugh. The boys, in file, had pulled the body by its rope through the tall, green-gray grass. Now, Kalen picked up the limp body as they waded the seasonally shallow creek. The glistening black water ran colder into their sneakers than they had anticipated for the mild weather. But it was running down, all the way from the mountain. And it was the butt-end of October. As it soaked through their sneakers, they regretted not crossing downstream at the park bridge, but the less chance of them being seen, the better. As they came up the small sandbar, they re-entered a patch of tall grass and willow shoots, and then went on into the gloomy mix of cottonwoods, willows, 
and silvery Russian olives, tangled densely and pregnant with shadow. Many of the trees were bare, though some remained outfit in their bright colors against the early evening sky. I don't know about you, but the spot I'm picturing is down at the next bend, Gunner told Kalen. Yeah, that's what I thought, too, Kalen replied, marching attentively through the deadfall. Something like a deep, rattling moan resonated through the trees, somewhere in between a bad Halloween haunted house sound effect and deathbed misery. That's creepy, Kalen said, eyes wide and pointed into the shadows. Probably an animal, Gunner ruled. Yeah, but what the frick kind of animal, Kalen objected. Deer make some weird noises sometimes. I know from hunting. Uh-huh, Kalen acknowledged, but he was skeptical. They came out of the trees again at the elbow in the creek, where it snaked back into the woods for a stretch, away from the path, and hugged a peninsular sandbar. Kalen held the dummy and surveyed up and down the creek. He froze when his eyes met another dark set of eyes from a skinny figure standing on the sandbar which waited silent and still and had clearly seen him first. Gunner slapped him on the back. See, man, Gunner told him. It's just a fucking deer. The silent stillness of the black-eyed animal staring at him from the sandbar with those big ears and narrow, tawny face and skeletal limbs had pricked something in Kalen's instinctual alarm system. He felt silly now. The doe huffed once, flagged its white tail, and then hoofed it through the shallow stream and up into the opposite trees. Gunner was standing by a windswept willow that hung a little over the creek, and that would be visible from the path. This one, huh? Kalen observed. Don't you think? Gunner asked. Yeah, man. Kalen rested their victim at the base of the tree. He laughed, and when Gunner looked to see what he was doing, he was pushing some of the garbage sack into the dummy's open mouth with two fingers. Now it looks like he was sucking for air when he died, Kalen said. Kalen stood, and Gunner approved with a grin. Kalen followed his eyes up into the willow. I think we can just throw the rope around that branch, Gunner said, pointing. Kalen held up the dummy while Gunner threw the rope over the branch, and they proceeded to hang their victim. When they had just finished, they heard it again, that unearthly moan from back in the trees. The boys exchanged a long glance. As they cat-stepped through the brush and deadfall, deeper into the tangle, Kalen was not particularly afraid, merely curious. It was still daylight. He was with Gunner, and they were only a few hundred yards off of the walking path of the city park. Further, the source of the noise would certainly turn out to be a deer caught in the fence or something. The most rare and dangerous thing it could be would be either a puma or a small black bear, as these sometimes wandered into town along the creek. But as long as there were two of them, a frightened animal would almost certainly leave them alone in an encounter. Also, they were teenage boys. They didn't shrink from the prospect of a thrill. They worked their way back toward the far fence line, 
that cut the park's woods from several small farms that followed the creek. The nest of swart, tortured branches grew denser and scrubbier. At several points, the boys had to duck under naturally formed arbors. They came to hear the hard breathing of an animal, punctured with snorts, and it drew them toward a half-uprooted old cottonwood whose stout, curved root arched out of the soil and formed a small nook. There, among bristling roots, the creature writhed, with a back longer than a man and pelted in chestnut fur. Gunner grabbed Kalen's shoulder. The fine hairs on Kalen's neck stood up. Now he was scared. His first impression was that they had stumbled upon Bigfoot in a fetal pose. Kalen tried to take a few steps around it to see what head was attached to the thing. Gunner's hand remained stupidly where it had clasped Kalen's shoulder in the air. On the animal there was blood, some fresh and bubbling bright cranbox red, but mostly black and clotted like road tar. Kalen made out a clenched row of sharp teeth lined with black, glistening lips. It was a dog-like mouth. That's all he noted before a leaf crunched under his shoe and the beast's head shot up, leveling a black nose and muzzle at Kalen, below tiny red fiery eyes, like crafting beads. What happened next happened so swiftly Kalen couldn't have described it to you afterwards. All he knew was that his head was clamped in the thing's jaws as it pulled him to the ground, and his fists beat uselessly on its head and neck. Gunner screamed, but that was just background noise, and he had no idea what Gunner was doing at the time, whether trying to help or trying to get the heck out of there. The animal held Kalen for what felt like minutes, but was likely only moments, maybe even mere seconds, in a toothy grip that made his skull belt out in pain and threatened to give out. But then Kalen tumbled free. He stumbled onto his feet and, turning back, holding his head, gazed on the lump of fur gone idle again. It had simply let go. Now the beast cried out with that same tortured moan that had called them there and curled in on itself. Gunner grabbed Kalen, who was stunned, to pull him to run. Something stopped them. Not much could have stopped them from fleeing but such was the strangeness of what they saw. Whatever disease tortured this creature, it was horrific, because the beast's hide seemed to boil from the bones, and it was shedding fur so aggressively, strands could be seen raining from the pelt onto the dirt. For a heartbeat, Kalen's greatest concern became the fact that this diseased monstrosity had bitten him, because if that's how you get rabies, could equally be how you catch whatever horror this was. However, it only got more peculiar from there. As Gunner pulled on Kalen's arm, yet Kalen remained rooted in his spot, absolutely fixated with equal measures horror and wonder. The whole pelt loosened and swiftly degraded into a tarry liquid that soaked into the soil. And where it first exposed the beast's interior, the boys glimpsed pale, hairless skin. When the slough had all run off, what remained was human. A naked man, barely older than the boys, curled like a fetus in the hole, 
stained with soil and the remnants of the tar-like substance and other organic matter. And further, he was wounded in the same regions the beast had been, though the wounds now seemed like they had tried to heal in short order, yet done so imperfectly. There was a deep gash in the left upper arm, and again across the back, and worst, a perforation in his flank that might have gone as deep as the bowels, and that frothed with a terrible milky pink fluid. The edges of the wounds now were no longer ragged and bleeding, but smooth, young scar tissue. The man moaned. Its clearly mortal tenor raised the boy's hair. Are you a werewolf? Kalen wondered, inching backwards, his arms half raised in self-defense. The words felt stupid coming out of his mouth, but if he wasn't going to run away, he was going to say something. And what else could he surmise? Maybe he should still have run, but the man seemed so pathetic now, and what could this naked man do? It's not like he could still fit Kalen's head in his mouth. The man squirmed and then cried out, Dash! And he rolled over and tried to prop himself up, shaking and proving scarcely capable of bearing his own weight. Kalen broke free from Gunner and tentatively moved toward the man. Seeing no intimation of hostility, Kalen helped the man sit up against the roots of the tree. The man's green eyes watched without expression. You're a werewolf, Kalen pressed. The man evidently did not care to answer, but slowly pronounced, You should go, glaring under a sullied brow and foaming slightly in his mouth. Kalen looked back at Gunner. Gunner was speechless, jaw dumbly agape. Kalen studied the man again. Were you going to kill me? Kalen whispered. Those green eyes snapped to his. Yes, he pronounced. But you didn't, Kalen went on. You are tiresome, the man said. I'm attempting to die in peace. I'm, I'm sorry. What happened to you? Kalen pressed on. Kalen, let's go, Gunnar murmured simultaneously. The man's eyes now stared off on a level plane toward forever. His hand rested on the wound on his side as he sat cross-legged beneath the tree like a gruesome Buddha. Listen to your friend, he mumbled. I didn't lay off from eating you because I didn't want to. There was a long silence. The light grew dimmer with evening. What can we do to help? Kalen said suddenly. Nothing, the man ruled. You're men. I'm a monster. What happened to you? He tried again. The man groaned in annoyance. There have been things following me for a year now, which you would not understand, or wish to understand. And I just lost a fight with one of them. What things? Kalen wondered. Things better left unknown, he spat. Go on. Resume your life of ignorant bliss like the rest of them. Kalen, Gunnar said again. This dude is dying, Kalen protested. 
This dude's not a fucking dude, Gunner countered. A minute ago, he was a creature that tried to eat your goddamned head. He's seriously wounded, man, Kalen said. We ought to do something. What? Gunner countered. What do we do? There's no emergency room for werewolves. He's a person now, Kalen said. Surely they can stitch him up just the same. It's no use, the man interrupted. I assure you I'm dying. Any doctor with any thread could sew these wounds up, but yeah, they won't heal now. Not more than they have. Not without... Without what? Kalen asked. Nah, the man sneered. The price is too high, he said as if to himself. Dash, he cried again. Without what? Kalen pressed. What do you need? The man glared with seething verdant coals. Human flesh, now fuck off. The boys looked at each other. Kalen could see that Gunner was trembling. You heard him, Gunner whispered. Come on, man. Kalen was silent and looked over the man once more. I'm Kalen, he finally said. I can smell your fear, Kalen, the man sneered. There was another long silence before he said, with the tone of a sigh, My name is Hunter. This is Gunner, Kalen said quickly. I can't believe you're a... You're a... Yes, the man cut him off, still staring ahead on the level. Uh, Quindra Nguari, we call it. He let himself go on. The Hounds of God. The Hounds of God, Gunner wondered. We are the dirty soldiers, the mercenaries, of the war between the above and the below. Things that came down to our world before humans were human. But there's a price, and that price is too high. It is better to die. I will not slaughter non-combatants for the sake of the war. The way that Hunter's inhibition was failing made Kalen think maybe Hunter was growing delirious. That, or Kalen's persistence, had worn him out and resigned him to the deathbed company. In the silence, a small cold breeze momentarily stirred the leaves, and somewhere a crow cawed. They smell my death, Hunter said. Dash, it hurts. He thought a moment and then said suddenly, as if it were an issue, When I die, don't take anything from my body. Let it die with me. Let what die with you? Kalen asked. Just promise me, Hunter said. Sure, fine, Kalen promised. Dash, Hunter grumbled again. I got this from her, he said, as if it followed. Mila, he said while the rest of his words bore bitterness. Out of all other words, he delivered the name with tenderness. He took a deep breath and said, In the middle of a midnight late summer thunderstorm, I woke up and remembered a dream about Mila. She stood in a field of mature corn in the evening, naked and bloodied yet serene. 
Hunter talked for a long time, telling a story of how in his senior year of high school, people had begun dying. And in the end, a girl named Mila, dying in his arms, confessed that she had been the one taking the lives. And she gave him something. A belt made of fur that hides under the skin. He had a choice. Something evil was coming after her. Accept the fur belt and fight it, or run away. But acceptance came at a steep price. He would, like Mila before him, need to feed in order to fuel the power. When he stopped, it was nearly dark. Gunner and Kalen hugged themselves. The man was shaking. Some drool poured over his lip. His eyes grew dull and sunken. What are you doing? Gunner asked Kalen. Kalen looked up at Gunner as he took up Hunter's arm. We're taking him out of here, Kalen said. Help me. He's almost gone, Gunner whispered, with the tone of it being an objection. Dude, shh, Kalen said. And where are we going to take him? Gunner demanded, again in a whisper. Home, Hunter spoke up, raising his head slightly as the two boys supported him to his feet. They were surprised that Hunter remained capable of bearing much of his own weight. And where exactly is that? Gunner questioned. Iowa, he moaned. The boys exchanged a look. You know where you are, right? Gunner muttered. The three young men worked their way out of the woods and crossed the black, frigid creek. It was dark now, and there wasn't anyone on the path as far as they could see. The boys hurried down the path, toward the lot where Gunner had left his truck, and Hunter stumbled along with them as the moon set sail into the void above, and a dull breeze cooed through the trees. All they could hear was their own heavy breathing and Hunter's mumbling and choking on his own spit. As they came through the blind bend in the path where Cottonwood stood on one side and Willows on the other, Gunner cried out and the three stopped in their tracks. Bare branches like skeletal fingers swayed in an arch over the path, where a light illuminated a figure facing away from them, which could only be described as a small, naked man with the head of a buck deer. Nah, Hunter groaned. What the fuck is... Gunner began. A prim and proper human body, petite and formally postured, supported the sprightly head and neck of a deer with a crown of antlers. The body was male, but gracile, tight and stringy like a professional dancer, mature but the size of an early adolescent. He did not turn to face them. Great Earl, Hunter choked. Kalen had the most peculiar sense that what he saw was not what he saw, that what was beneath what he saw on the surface was worse than this already unacceptable vision. Is that... is that a deer standing on its hind legs? Gunner wondered aloud. No, Hunter choked. That is only what he wants to look like. Set me down and run. Don't look back. He should leave you alone. He wants me. There was a smile in the voice that came to them, but the creature didn't turn or move a muscle. 
Do not rule the boys out. I will take any victim I can get. I am not one to throw away a gift. The three turned about and hurried the way they had come. Hunter freed himself from the boy's support and hobbled after them, under his own power, shoving them forward. Gunner broke into a sprint and glanced back at Kalen. Come on! he yelled. Go, go, go! Hunter commanded, and the two boys took the lead and broke away from Hunter as he stumbled after them. When Kalen reached the elbow in the creek where they had hung the dummy, something on the sandbar caught his eye. Some motion beyond the hanged dummy in the same sourceless light of the apparition a moment ago. The heart-headed man had caught a doe, perhaps the same doe Kalen had seen before, and he was digging his fingers into her hindquarters and raping her, while his beady black eyes pointed straight into Kalen from the distance. He took her with violence as she thrashed, kicking and writhing and jerking her head, yet he clung on and subdued her all the more, pinning her against the sandbar now with a foot. A huff planted on her spine while his human hands clamped her buttocks up high to his waist. All the while, those tiny eyes stared straight into Kalen, and Kalen had the sense that what he saw was not what he saw, but what really was was somewhere in those black eyes. At length, the hardhead grew tired of the fight, and with a thrust of his hoof and an audible crack, he broke her spine and she ceased to struggle as he continued to engage with her even more vigorously. Hunter caught up to Kalen and shoved him from behind, snapping him from the trance. Further down the path, the trees grew close again, and the path rose on an eroded bank like a small cliff over the creek. Chokecherry branches reached out of the raw dirt of the bank and arched over the metal rail, and over the path while cottonwoods and willows loomed on the other side. Out of nowhere, two small arms shot out of the trees and seized Gunner. Kalen stopped. Hunter caught up to them, wheezing and choking. The deer man stepped out holding Gunner by his shoulders. As the creature was so small, one could mostly only see the antlers around Gunner's back. Gunner struggled but couldn't break free, and it was almost silly to see a larger, more apparently athletic body. Unable to break free from what should have been an untenable grip on his body by a much smaller man. Now, as if Gunner were a phone book in the hands of a strong man, the being jerked his shoulders in opposite directions and tore him in roughly twain, the head and neck staying with one side, with a spray of blood, and he cast the halves aside with a wet thwop onto the concrete of the path, standing forth between them, his little body hard and hairless his tiny male member now soft and bobbing back and forth between his stringy white thighs like a baby bella mushroom. Kalen screamed. Hunter shoved Kalen aside and stepped forward, clutching his side and half-doubled over. I am of accord, he said sweetly, his face not changing. Wholeheartedly, with what is no doubt your preposition that that was a waste. However, it is rather that one that I want. The pretty one, with the pretty soul. Do you like boats? I want to take him home. Somewhere nearby, there was a child's laugh, and then a grown man's warm voice in answer. Don't fret your pretty heads. I have made it such that none may see or hear us, that we are right here. All the best circumstance 
for one to reach out and take and eat and regain his strength, one might say. Hunter growled. A family decked out for trick-or-treating came around the bend in the path, seemingly oblivious. A Captain America, an Elsa, a mom and dad. Kaelin screamed at them and found no acknowledgement. As they came to pass, they passed around them, as if they knew they were there, but without looking at them directly. Hunter watched them pass under his brow, clutching his bowels, doubling over deeper, sneering and sniffing the air. The heart had laughed, like Mickey Mouse, and seized Kalen. He held Kalen's face right in front of his own, under those senseless bead eyes that seemed to look at nothing like a stuffed animal. Kalen screamed again, and the family didn't turn. The being picked up Kalen like a little child, cradling him in his arms and digging into his ribs with long, hard fingers as if trying to tickle him. As Kalen squirmed, the steely grip only tightened. And again, it would have looked silly to see this small being not only carrying, but restraining a much larger frame effortlessly. The creature began walking down the path after the family, wrapping Kalen in his arms and taking his time. Hunter dragged his feet after them. Far down the path, a few other people were out now. Another set of trick-or-treaters, some older kids without parents. Also an elderly man from the nearby senior living apartments. A few hundred feet ahead of Kalen, the trick-or-treating family stopped. The mother pointed. The dad made a noise and then turned his children away from the creek. Soon he was on the phone. They had seen the dummy. And it had indeed fooled them. When the creature reached the drawing crowd with Kalen, he stooped with one hand and pulled up one square of the concrete path behind them, like it was a trap door. Dull yellow and red light spilled out from below. Hunter glanced over the crowd. There was someone there who smelled particularly ripe to eat, but they all looked good, especially the children. One of these people likely had cancer. He could tell by the scent like other predators who harvest the sick, the old, the weak, and the young from the prey herd and leave the healthy breeders so as to maintain the population. Hunter could not yet tell which one was the source of the odor, but it made him salivate and his gut cried out in a deep rumble. The deer man addressed him. I understand your position. I do. Inasmuch as one without cowardice is capable of fathoming cowardice, you have resolved never to feed on human flesh again. This is quite understandable. It must be quite the source of shame that the pack would not accept you as her replacement. Because you are weak. Because you refuse to pay the price in order to continue to fight with them. Shut up, Hunter moaned. Let the kid go. Take me instead. One of my kind is worth more to you, especially dead. No, but thank you, he answered. You are dying anyway, it seems, whether I leave my prize or not, so why leave this delectable one behind? That is a waste. There were sirens coming in the distance. In the meantime, the father had begun to wade through the creek to investigate the hanged men. 
The hardhead drove a finger into Kalen's ribs. He screamed through a hand placed now over his mouth. His eyes bugged out. The hardhead drove the finger harder and harder, and the skin broke, and the finger slid rapidly into the soft tissue. The muted scream peaked. Damn it! Hunter chuffed and hobbled toward them. As I was saying, the demon continued, Your position is understandable, given what you needed to do to your friend when the great prince tracked her to you, and you had but one option, as a mere son of dirt to resist him. Shut up! Hunter spat again. A police cruiser tore into the parking lot, down the path, and began to drive up onto the path. What is the flavor of love, son of dirt? Is it like caramel, or is it sweet like strawberry wine? Or is it iron and salt? Hunter screamed at him like an animal. The devil took the finger from Kalin's side. A ruddy rivulet poured out. Then he forced the bloodied finger into Kalin's mouth between the fingers of his other hand that had been covering it. Kalin's eyes went wide, desperate and senseless like a prey animal. The demon, hovering, began to descend into the earth through the jaundiced portal. A monster's arm shot out and gripped the mother's cranium like palming a basketball. As he pulled her close, her daughter could be heard making a small noise of confusion as her mother vanished. Hunter, with one enormous, hairy arm projecting from his pale and scrawny human body, one red eye glowing from a patch of fur erupting on his face, gripping that head of brown hair, drove his other hand into her abdominal cavity under the ribcage. His instinct would not have ever been to take a breeding-age female. But that mortal smell, it was coming from her, and strongly rendering her, according to the heartless law of the natural circle, the most expendable. He tore her open with his hands as the demon descended into the pit, closing the sidewalk after him. Hunter could feel the life flowing back into him. His limbs swelled with power. He could feel already the delicious sensation of rending the demon into multiple hunks of flesh in his hands. Kalen saw without seeing. He was dimly aware of the humid warmth, the smell, the jaundiced light, the sulfur-slathered stone walls covered in occult glyphs. His captor bore him along a great promenade, and through seven monolithic gates into a sort of antechamber, a rectangular room of finished bedrock walls. On either side stood a series of pedestals bearing clay statuary in a crude style reminiscent of ancient Sumerian votive figures. Skinny fat human forms with big made-up eyes and bald misshapen heads. The demon bore him through this line of sightless watchers muttering, speaking lightly, as if to one who was listening. Through this obscene row of terracotta gods, garlanded with sagging rolls of fat, with bald heads and inflamed cheeks and circled eyes, gods made in the image of their worshippers, the decadent inhabitants of an inhuman civilization that fell to its own mediocrity when humans were yet young. Yes, outfit the boat the hardhead said to someone. It was like he was on the phone. 
I have recreation prepared. I don't care about the books, and the great duke can bite the cross. Yes, yes, ten chairs. At the end of the antechamber was a portal framed with two monolithic columns of crude rectangular fashion, surmounted by an equally crude tympanum, all hewn into the wall to mimic true masonry. He set Kalin on the floor beside the right column, and placed his hoof firmly on his throat to pin him. Kalin grappled the leg. His release of his side allowed blood to pour freely onto the floor. Yes, I'm at Nina's gate, the demon said, and then to Kalin. We need to get those clothes off before we proceed, he explained in a sing-song voice. Otherwise the Lord won't accept you. The being lifted Kalin's t-shirt and moved his hoof to Kalin's gut, and began to pull at his shirt to get it off. When the creature finished struggling with Kalin's clothes, he took him through into the next chamber, a large hall with something like a spider's web netting over one wall. To this, the being fixed Kalin, who found it like twine that was absolutely dripping with Elmer's glue, only this glue held fast and instantly. Spread eagle and unable to apply pressure to his side, the blood streamed uninhibited and ran down the inside of his thigh. The other end of the chamber opened into a pit, the bottom of which he could not see. The being was then fiddling with some device when Hunter burst through the portal at full speed, making a beeline for the hearthead and tackling him, tearing into him with his teeth without hesitation. From his back on the ground, the deerhead drove a hand with two fingers extended into Hunter's ribs, with enough might so as to hoist Hunter off of him, suspending him by two fingers that entered his gut. He then threw Hunter across the chamber, landing against one of the rectangular columns hewn into the threshold. Kalin could see that the deer creature's flesh had been torn, and it hung off of him like ragged shrink-wrap plastic packaging or shreds of dead skin from a bad sunburn in places, where it had ripped an inner flesh, purple-white, began to bulge like it was trying to get out. Within the now slack deer muzzle, which appeared to have a broken bottom mandible, there was something like a large, toothy human mouth. The thing laughed, again like Mickey Mouse. As the being faced away from Kalin and marched toward Hunter, who righted himself from the floor by the portal, glaring and seething and drooling, the being tore into his own fraying husk, ripping open his breast like Superman would his shirt. And as the neat and pretty guise failed, bulbous white flesh poured out with a splatter of purple fluid. Like a molting insect emerges from the husk of its former self, and its soft, natal tissue immediately swells much larger than its previous form. Something in between a giant human being and a maggot arced out of the old skin, rolls of flesh and an oversized head, as blobby and indistinct as a chubby infant, and dove at Hunter, engulfing him and taking him over the edge of the pit. The sounds of battle came intermittently from far away, and farther away with time, as Kalin hung in the juice of the rope web, naked and wounded. The minutes ran long, the hours infinitely longer. 
Once, Kaelin thought he heard someone walking through the hall and panting. Yet equally prepared to meet either hell or salvation, he found no one, nothing, entered. Elsewhere, a bird-like animal crowed once or twice. Then came much silence. This is it. We're about out of time. Whatever happens, just just know I love you, man. I love you too, man. Okay. You can stop holding my hand now. Sorry, I thought we were having what you call a moment. Babe, if this audio makes it out of here and and you hear this message, just know that I love you and I never meant this to happen and I know this isn't what you meant when you said, okay, go have fun with the boys. Oh God, I, I, I know this isn't what you meant. You fleshbags should just be honored to get to go down on the desolator of Abathkanath. It is a gift not given to most souls. I have decimated across the miserable worlds of this insufferable plane. I have standards. But, uh, but, but wait, Puggy Poo. Didn't you say that the only thing that could banish you back to the nether plane was this if these two guys who summoned you did the, uh, no, uh, oh, what's a polite word for it? The, the, the Talladega Prison Tango? 20 seconds. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, God. Oh, 20 seconds to butt sex. I'm, uh, I'm not familiar with that emo band. We've got to stop it. <laughs> Do we have to? Puggles, what are you doing? Ten seconds. <laughs> and there goes my five-star Apple podcast review <laughs> for this podcast. I'm doing what has to be done. Don't call me a hero. F- five seconds? Oh, oh, mother. No one was calling you. <laughs> no! Two seconds. He ate the fucking bomb! Uh, oh, oh, spicy notes of um, uh, strawberry. Puggles, how do you feel? Uh, hold on, one more, one more. Have you ever felt a tapeworm filleting a leftover half of a kibasa in your, in your intestines while last night's pizza tosses yesterday's salad? I think not. Monsterborn Podcast is a production of...
Or box media. I think I'm gonna vomit a Bukaki. Oh, today's story was Hunter's Moon by the bald one that I hate. Music by him too. Oh, I want it. Does it? Does it taste like sex in here? Remember, if you enjoyed Hunter's Moon, be sure to go back and listen to episode MP10, November Moon, if you haven't already. Good day, Monsterbaiters. Brett here. If you enjoyed this episode of Monster Porn, first, put down the bomb kit and reintegrate into society, you extremist. And second, be sure to rate and review Monster Porn on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute, and it helps new people discover the joys of Monster Porn. Apple Podcast user Big Slurm says, If you're hung, grief for a horror podcast, this will definitely settle your appetite. It's got the horror-thriller aspect to the stories. But also, there is the comedy aspect. Both narrators are hilarious. I'd give more than five stars if I could. Keep up the good work, guys. Applauding emoticon. Thank you, Big Slurm. That is awesome. If you're a hardcore monsterbaiter like your mom and dad, be sure to go to monsterpornpodcast.com store for all your Halloween season gift-giving needs. We're running a special this week, where if you place an order, you'll get exactly what you pay for. That's it. Until next time, monsterbaiters, stay weird. And until the shark angels come, Godspeed, Strange Cowboy. Thanks to all the monster, monster, monster thanks to all the monster baiters out there who have sent positive energy back and have helped us help the show grow. No, start over. I'm a little worm a little warbly back up. And it was shedding fur so aggressively. Oh, there should be a comma there. That's why my cadence is fucked. Damn it, Brett. Yes, yeah, sorry, Brett. That's damn right, you're sorry. What about a semicolon? No! Comma. Thank you. A minute ago, he was he was a creature that should have fucking read the sentence before he tried to fucking deliver it. And somewhere, a crow cod. If you're a hardcore monster baiter like your mom and dad, be sure to go to monsterpornpodcast.com slash store for all your Halloween season gift-giving needs. We're running a special this week where if you place an order, you'll get exactly what you paid for.